you only have until the end of June to get two months of premium access to the fastest growing training app in the world. The Motive app gives you a customized training plan no matter what race you have on your calendar. You can use code SMARTER2 when signing up at mymotive.com, but like I said, this offer is going soon, so take action now. On today's episode, the safest way for runners to lose weight with Dr. Nick Fuller. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Okay, do we have a doozy this one? I think weight loss has been a surprisingly popular topic on this podcast. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what the download rates and what the feedback is like for this episode with Dr. Nick Fuller. Um, By way of bio, he is the commercial and industry program leader at University of Sydney, working with governments and industry to identify and develop a cost-effective treatment for the treatment and management of obesity and related physical and mental health disorders. He has this program, which is all over his website and social media handles called the Interval Weight Loss Program, which he'll obviously discuss. Um, We dive into a lot of things. We dive into a lot of weight loss misconceptions, and I was actually extremely surprised um, and learned so much from this content. And yo-yo diets and just diets in general, they tend to be resoundingly successful in the first couple of weeks and then hilariously unsuccessful in the long term. And we go into the science, we go into why this is always the case and the the way that we should be losing weight. And I won't give too much away, but we also do answer some patron questions. So thanks to Janine, Maxine, Rachel and Dimmer for submitting your questions. The other thing I will mention is that um, moving forward in the podcast, I'll be putting in a couple of ads here and there, just my ads, just me promoting myself, uh, because I do realize that when people are reaching out to me and asking questions and they're listeners of the podcast, they don't really know what I do. They don't really know what I sell. For example, not many people know that I offer online physio for runners around the world and that I sell courses that are through the Run Smarter app. And so, trying to help my business model a little bit and trying to help you with the right information and helping you out with some discounts and some promo codes as well is also um, why I try to keep you guys informed, but also make sure that I'm really rewarding and saying thank you for being a podcast listener. So yeah, I've put together, I've um, spent the last couple of days putting together five ads and 
I will be putting one ad per episode and just rotating the five ads. They go for about 30 to 60 seconds each. Hopefully it provides you with answers and maybe additional resources that you might not have known. And it helps me and my work get more recognized. And so win-win. And there is a little bit of a, a jingle in the background of these ads as well. Those who are super long fans of mine and have paid attention back to the old podcast that I used to do, the Everyday Running Legends, I have kept that uh, intro music. So perhaps you might recognize that, but I think it's a very catchy jingle. All right, this was a longer episode, so um, without further ado, let's dive into the episode. Um, do I call you doctor? Do you have a doctorate, Dr. Nick Fall? Uh, yeah, doctor, but you can call me Nick Brady. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, anyway, for the official... Um, of yeah, the official intro, Dr. Nick Fuller, welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast. How are you today? Very well. It's great to be on your show. Thanks for having me on, Brody. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for reaching out and being a listener. Um, for those who don't know you, uh, let's start off with you introducing yourself and how you found um, the field you're currently in. Sure. I guess from a social uh, point of view, I am a runner myself, uh, live and breathe track and field, uh, still still do it socially, but um, a couple of years stopped competitively as a former hurdler. Yeah, so that, that's sort of the link there with um, I'm a big fan of your work. Uh, and then I guess from a health point of view, uh, also work in your field, allied health, uh, but specifically weight management. So I work at the University of Sydney and Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, uh, a centre called Charles Perkins. It's a joint initiative between the two institutions. And basically, we run a, Australia's largest weight management service. So we see thousands of patients every year uh, to trial different programs, treatments, devices, et cetera, uh, for people on their weight loss journey. And I guess what we're trying to do is paint a better picture of what weight management should look like. So um, I work in that that hospital clinic facility. And um, I guess one of the biggest frustrations that I have as a clinician and researcher and other colleagues have is that people that come to us, some of them only have a couple of kilos to lose, some have, you know, 50, 100 kilos to lose, is that they have been on every diet possible and they have been on a lifetime, I guess, of struggle with, with their weight. And when you look at the stats now, you know, everyone knows about the obesity epidemic, um, but quite simply, uh, the numbers show that two in three people are clinically diagnosed as overweight. So when you walk around, uh, you know, lunchtime, or next time you're, you're out and about, two in three of those people that you're looking at will have a few extra kilos uh, around the waistline, around the midriff, which is putting them at increased risk of other diseases like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, um, for example. Yeah. And I'm glad like you're doing this kind of work. And for the audience that listened to this podcast, I had a previous, I guess the closest relation to this topic was um, the episode around what's a healthy race weight. And it was surprising to me how popular it actually was. And then asking my patrons questions to prepare for this, there was some really nice feedback. And um, it's a, it's a really good topic that I didn't think the audience would be really interested in, but I guess they are really interested, which is um, funny that you reach out and um, want to talk about all these different strategies and what's the best in your kind of field of work. And so you do revolve most of your um, treatments around this 
interval weight loss program. But before we dive into that, we do know that the podcast loves breaking down myths and misconceptions and um, addressing that on the forefoot, like being up in front with that. So what are some common myths and what's some common misconceptions around weight loss that you currently hear? Let's, let's hear them all. Absolutely. There are so many. I mean, this is a $100 billion um, dieting industry. So you've got people out there promising all sorts of magic cures and, and pills and potions to help you slim down or improve your health. Uh, but when it comes down to it, uh, diets are contributing. A lot of these fad diets are contributing to the problem they proclaim to solve. So there's some great research to show that uh, dieting can accelerate your weight gain. Many people start in a normal weight range uh, and then that societal pressure is on there, uh, put onto them, particularly women to conform to a, a body image that um, is you know, pushed through social media, sensations, big name celebrities, and they end up signing up to that dietary program. Um, and of course, losing weight, but what happens is, and what we've shown again through research is your body fights that weight loss. So it will go down into shutdown mode, um, conserve all of its energy, and we can talk about that in, in greater detail soon, so that you claw back to your start point. So one of the greatest, I guess, myths is that um, obesity or weight, um, that struggle with weight is not due to a lack of willpower. So, yeah, you know, many people, uh, I guess, we, we sort of shame them and say, look, you're not... Um, succeeding because you're just not sticking to it for long enough but really the the most important thing uh, to educate the listeners on is that there is this biological imperative to regain the weight so a good example is you know i i take up running because i want to lose weight now that's fantastic there's all sorts of benefits of that activity particularly running um but what what happens is yes your body weight does decrease but as it starts to decrease, this is when your body will go into shutdown mode. And even if you continue to run, you're going to find that your body starts to regain that weight you lost. Um, you're starting in many instances with a higher um, or that excess body weight, which is, means you've got extra, excess or ex, extra stress on the joints. So you end up getting injured and going back to your old habits um, and again, regaining the weight you lost. So I guess that biggest myth is that people aren't failing due to a lack of willpower. Um, they're actually failing due to their biology. And when it comes to all of these different, you know, uh, diet promises in terms of one minute, it's, it's whole grain carbs are bad. The next it's um, dairy food should be avoided. There's a new one every day of the week and a lot of this is nonsense and the very foods that we're told to cut out with these diets and dietary programs is actually doing more harm than good because not only are they good for our weight, um, long-term weight management, but they're also important for our health and our training goals. So if you're running and you're going on a diet um, uh, in, in conjunction to that running program, training program, you know, many of these fad diets at the moment are telling you to take out carbs so when you take them out, you're going to be lacking in energy. Glucose, uh, glycogen stores are depleted. So it's also going to compromise um, your output and your training goals. Now, there's just so many different myths and, and I guess um, dietary misconceptions. When it comes down to a, a large part of my role is actually translating 
what we do beyond an academic and clinical setting. So it's one thing for us to do all this research here at Charles Perkins, publish it in academic journals, but it's also to take it to the general public and to educate them on one, the, diet, the dangers of dieting, um, but two, equipping them with evidence-based care so they can regain control of their health and their weight. And if you're going out and you're starting um, on, this, on this running journey, knowing how to do it so that not only do you meet your training goals, but you also meet your weight loss goals so you prevent weight regain. Because I promise you, at some point, your body will fight that weight loss. You'll claw back to your start point. You're going to end up heavier than you before you began. And it's due to your biology, not to be mixed up with your genes. It's actually due to your biology. It reminds me of like um, when I'm at uni and they teach me about homeostasis and they say that the body, like if there's a change in the body conditions, the body will do certain actions in order for it to return back to its normal state that it likes being in. And so what you're saying is um, that's what I just think about when you talk about a a diet or trying to change your your food in a certain way to have a drastic change if you're trying to lose weight then you try and do something different and then the body would just be like what are you trying to do let's try and get back to homeostasis and that's why you're saying we're trying to fight biology and i guess um with saying that the the more drastic actions that you take the more the body's going to want to fight um is it the same concept exactly you are spot on it's a it's it's a good I guess, analogy as well. Um, it is this body's homeostasis, uh, homeostasis, and it's our body working back towards what we term our set point. So, you know, for you, Brody, it can be X kilos. For me, it can be, you know, X kilos. For Pat down the road, it'd be 90 kilos, someone else 103 kilos. But that set point is that weight that you protect. So as you just mentioned, um, you know, we go out, we, we, we start um, on our weight loss journey, and sure, you might go down from 100 to 90, but along the way, your body's shutting down to fight that weight loss and to take you back to your set point, your starting weight. But not only that, um, it's very good at um, shutting down and staying in this shutdown mode so that you put on a little bit extra to prepare for that next bout of starvation. Right. And in term- yeah, and in terms of what's happening and your body's physiology, um, it- to put this, you know, I guess to give those the listeners an understanding, your metabolism will drop. So sure, when you lose weight, your metabolism drops because you have less body mass. You've lost muscle, you've lost body fat, but it actually drops by a further 15% that us scientists can't account for. So this is just your body going into shutdown mode so that you burn less calories at rest. You burn less calories at rest, you're going to climb back to your start point. A very good example comes from uh, a research study looking at participants from The Biggest Loser, a very famous TV show. Uh, when they started the show, they were at about 2,600 calories per day in terms of how much energy they were burning, the met- metabolic rate. They lost this drastic amount of weight. Their metabolism went down to about 2,000 calories um, per day. But even after they regained the weight six, when they were followed up six years later, their metabolism didn't go back to 2,600. It stayed down at 1,900 calories per day. So it stayed down below baseline and was further suppressed so that people kept putting on more and more weight. And these people end up in a worse off position than before they started. This is only one of the well-researched biological pathways that kicks into gear when you go and restrict your body of calories or follow a diet. Um, and 
you know, there are many others. Another really good example to, so I guess, highlight is the appetite signaling system uh, because everyone talks about, you know, um, your appetite. When you go and you lose weight, everyone says, I just can't control my hunger. I'm so hungry. Well, that's again because your body starts working differently. This very clever wiring system between um, your gastrointestinal tract and your stomach and your brain basically signals your brain to eat more food. Uh, ghrelin, for example, that hunger hormone that, that goes up when you haven't eaten for a long period of time, well, that goes through the roof. It's telling you to go and reach for more food. If you reach for more food, again, you stack on more weight, you go back to your start point. Um, look, I, I describe this in great detail in my, my series of interval weight loss books, and there's some wonderful papers on all of this. But what I guess I'm reinforcing is that your body is fighting this weight loss and you described it very well. And that, you know, there's this body's body homeostasis. It doesn't know any better. It knows to stay at that starting point. And this is due to evolution. We'd often go long periods of time um, without food, uh, hunter gathering. And when it was available, we would gorge at the side of it. When it wasn't available days, sometimes hours, sometimes days, we would store that food and our body learned to shut down. So you put, basically our ancestors genes in the modern day environment we've got this evolution we mismatch foods everywhere we have a hard time saying no our weight goes up we react by dieting but our body reacts by saying hang on in order to survive i need to state that weight i was at now this is something the dieting industry won't tell you because they really do thrive on people's failures they want to see you succeed from anywhere between the four to 12 weeks and that's the easy part but when you finish that program, even if you can stick to some of those um, habits that you've picked up along the way, you're going to see your body fight the weight loss. That's crazy. It's um, it's something that the basic concept is something that I've I understand and kind of had intuitive um, feeling that that's what the body would do. But when you're talking about how the actual reaction that the body has, and like you said, the the drop in metabolism, and then that continues even when you've regained the weight that's it sounds something that's quite dangerous and it's like quite um quite shocking to learn it's it's quite yeah it's it's puzzling for me but it seems like it's worse than what i thought it would be yeah i mean this point you raised too in that it's um damaging it is so we have patients that come in and, and will say hey i just can't seem to shift the weight because i have a sluggish metabolism well, to be honest with you, they do have a sluggish metabolism now because they have ruined their metabolic rate through dieting, through this continual mm -hmm. yo-yo cycling. So, you know, you, you think of yourself um, as that person that's lost the weight, the metabolism's gone down, but then you've regained the weight. But remember, your metabolism actually stays down here. It doesn't go back to its start point. That is unfavorable. It's working against you and it doesn't know any better. Um, so, yes, we are actually imposing damage on our body um, you can restore that damage it, it does happen you can do that through good evidence-based practice over time but um, when people you know do put up their hand and say hey I, I just can't control the appetite I have a sluggish metabolism my thyroid's slow well this is actually what's happening within their body and with every bout of starvation every diet you sign up to it becomes harder and harder and harder to lose the weight because your body becomes smarter and smarter and smarter in terms of eliminating that stress and shutting down and saying, hang on, weight loss, no more. That's it. Wow. I can't go down that route. 
we've laid this up really well to um for the next question so you have i guess a method you have a program a strategy that does like assist and doesn't fight this biology so you you've called it the interval weight loss program what exactly is it yeah so we have found that when you lose weight um, in cycles through uh, intermittent in energy restriction uh, this interval weight loss period you do prevent your biology kicking into gear because remember this is the most important thing we want to do even if you do follow a program that's not as restrictive um, and and healthier long term and easier to adhere to you're still going to have your biology fighting itself and this is why even all of these latest and greatest diets um, that might be more nutritionally balanced aren't achieving long-term results because people are having their body body fight that weight loss so with interval weight loss um, you're getting a person to lose roughly two kilos every second month 0.5 kilo a week it's an it's an easy achievable format for for most people and those weight maintenance periods every second month allow your body to rest allow your body to sort of recalibrate uh, recalibrate at that new lowered set point and most importantly prevent your metabolism going down prevent your appetite hormones changing telling you to eat more prevent the suppression of your thyroid function um, prevent your adrenal glands pumping out more cortisol which also leads to weight gain you're basically switching off all of those physiological responses that take place through dieting. And that's what we're trying to do. And our only interest is in preventing weight regain, allowing a person to regain control of their health and weight, but most importantly, setting them up for success, um, you know, long-term down the track. Uh, and this is, yeah, this is a big part of my research in translating what we do. Sure, you know, Diet is only one aspect of it, but for everyone that's first starting out on a, on a weight loss journey, lifestyle intervention should be first-line therapy and it should be something that everyone's doing rather than just going down the route and saying, hey, give me that drug, give me that surgery or whatever it might be. Um, it's lifestyle intervention. Just stepping away for a brief moment to explain how the Motive app can help achieve your best running results. It's obvious that in order to perform at your best, you need a tailored plan designed by the best coaches in the world that perfectly match your upcoming races, your fitness level, and your precise goals. Well, the Motive app does exactly that. I've been getting some great feedback from you Run Smarter Scholars who have taken up this offer. So if you haven't done so already, you can use code SMARTER2 and get two months of premium access. But this offer won't last forever. So give it a try today by signing up at mymotive.com. Making changes, sustainable habits, so you can prevent, so you can stick to it and then prevent that weight regain. Yeah. And it, it seems like this strategy isn't going to be like the flashy, sexy sort of stuff that a lot of the marketing diets are putting out there. But like we're saying, if you, the more you disrupt that homeostasis, the more the body's going to fight back. And so, it seems like what this approach is doing is just being so gradual and just not allowing any of those triggers that body to fight because it's just a very subtle um, movement, a very subtle shift that the body just gets used to. And then you're moving on. So you say every second month, you'll have like a, a very gradual weight loss month. And then um, those alternate months, you're, the design isn't to lose weight. It's just to stay at the current weight that you're at. And then month by month, you're losing two kilos every two months. 
and the body's just getting used to it. It's shifting the, um, there's no abrupt sort of disruption to homeostasis. And then, um, yeah, the body just learns to peel off this, this weight loss. Is that correct? So like you said, the slow long-term approach. And that's the hardest thing for a person to overcome initially. Okay. So you you sort of summed up very nicely again, then it's not that I'm not going to sugarcoat this and we don't through um, our, our, you know, workers as researchers, it's about looking to the long term and saying, Hey, in 12 months time, I'm going to be the 10 to 12 kilos lighter. I'm not going to be 10 to 12 kilos in 10 weeks. If you want that, then sure, you can get that with the latest and greatest diet. There's no doubt about that. But your body's going to climb back to its start point. And if diets worked, we wouldn't see this increase in the prevalence of overweight and obesity that we see today. So, yes, you need to look to the future. You need to say, hey, you know, um, um, my, my goal is to, yeah, sure, lose that 5, 10 or 20 kilos, but most importantly, prevent the regain so you don't have to go through this cycle over and over and over again because people are doing that they're doing it five times every year 60 diets by the age of 45 and spending 31 years of their life dieting it's now become this cultural obsession weight loss the dieting industry thrive on it and um, again it's about educating the the population so that they can follow evidence-based care and i guess a really good example too is if if you, um, you're a runner and you want to lose weight, well, it also helps you achieve your training goals because if you just go out all guns blazing and increase that intensity um, over time and not allow your body to rest, um, then you're going to break down. You're going to get injured. So those weight maintenance months along the way also allow your body to rest it needs, but importantly, allow your body to recalibrate at that lowered set point. So... Yes, I guess to sum it up, it is about setting a goal outside of weight and saying in a year or two years or three years or whatever it might be, but many years down the track, um, that is what I'm focusing on. Yeah. In the same way that I talk with runners about if they're building like their weekly mileage, if they want to build up their weekly mileage, they want to do so gradually. It's not sexy, it's not flashy, but it's the right way to do it. And when I talk to them and say, Hey, you can, let's reflect back on your old training habits and let's focus on the last, say 12 months, two years and see all these injuries that you've had. How about we just do this slow, sensible approach and have a look at that. And if someone's wanting to lose weight and they're saying, Oh, but you know, I just don't know if I want to lose two kilos every two months. I don't know if it's too gradual. It's too boring. I don't know if that's something for me. Maybe I'll try something else first and then I'll go back to this. Um, perhaps maybe they need to self-reflect. Let's look back on the last year or two when you've done these diets. Are you any, have you lost any weight um, where you were or are you gaining weight? And you look at a very long-term trend rather than like this month by month in the moment, trying to do something that's flashy and that will get like promising results. You know, it's um, it might be that someone does need to self-reflect quite a lot um, just to exactly. see if it's if it's the right thing. How about the the evidence, the research behind it? Do we have like robust studies that have put people through this, and um, do we have the evidence to back up this approach? Yeah, so we obviously um, at our facility do clinical trials, and when you look at research relating to um, 
or everything that we do and, and, and science, uh, randomized controlled trials are the gold standard. Uh, these are the ones where you put an intervention or a group through the intervention and you're trialing the intervention versus another group that go through the control group, which is say current standard care or current, in this instance, um, a traditional uh, caloric deprivation or a traditional diet. So when we use this, this IWL method um, and, and intermittent energy restriction, you are achieving, uh, we're finding they're achieving over a year, 11 kilos in the intervention group in these RCTs versus um, uh, half of that, you know, sometimes even less in the control group. So traditional caloric restriction or diets will achieve anywhere between three to six kilos over the course of a year, about 5% of their body weight. But with IWL, you're achieving double that because remember, it's, it's sort of catching up over time. Initially, the um, traditional diet, you'll see this aggressive drop. Okay, and IWL is doing this, but then over time, it sort of catches up and then surpasses it, continues to go down while the traditional diet will get the V-shaped response where they're clawing back to the start point. Um, and then when you, you follow them up with longer-term studies in RCTs, it's about 8.5 kilos at 19 months. Traditional diet is about um, 1 to 2 kilos around that time period or 24 months, 2 years. So it does achieve superior weight loss, um, but more importantly, it's also equipping people with a healthy lifestyle plan because a lot of these diets are telling you to, to cut out foods. We touched on this briefly at the start. It's one of those myths. Um, you know, you cut out the carbs, you get the instant gratification, the number on the scale goes down because glycogen stores a lot of body water, um, which results in a lot of weight um, on the, on the scales when you're jumping on and off. So it's actually equipping people with the information around diet, sleep and exercise so that they're setting themselves up for long-term health to prevent the type two diabetes, the heart disease, the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, because a lot of these diets that are telling us to cut out foods do contribute to disease and we will not see the long-term ramifications um, of these dieting approaches for many years to come. And that is the real scary thing about it. So yes, IWL has, um, has that evidence to support its claims, but we remember we're only interested in, in the longer term. We're not interested in the four, eight, 12 weeks. Some people don't get any results initially because they've done so much damage through dieting. It takes them a few months to restore. Um, they might be regaining from a previous diet, but then eventually the body welcomes this approach and says, you know, hang on, why didn't you give me this all along? And then eventually the weight slowly but surely comes along. And if anything, it actually gets a lot easier for them over time, as opposed to with traditional diets, where it's very easy at the start because you see the weight loss coming off, but then your body shuts down. Mm. And can be very encouraging when trying these traditional diets to see the, the kilos kind of peel off and like in the short term, like in you say the, the four to six weeks or so, and can be very encouraging to be like, oh, let me just continue doing this because yeah. it's working, because I'm seeing results and people love that gratification, you know, jumping on the scales and seeing them a kilo less this week, a kilo less the next week. And um, perhaps if you 
notice that the there's such a rapid change in your weight, maybe that should start being a warning sign that you're actually shifting too much. And mm. knowing what we know now from your your insight, that's it sounds like it's more of a dangerous thing. And instead of it being encouraging, oh, I've lost four kilos this week, maybe that should be more dangerous because we know the body's going to fight back from it. Yeah, so that's right. It's about changing the messaging and saying um, your body is going through, uh, I guess, something that it shouldn't be going through. It's, it's, you're imposing a, a serious sort of health risk on it. It's going to shut down. And yes, you're going to damage it. You're going to damage your metabolism. You're going to damage your appetite hormone signaling system, your thyroid function, your adrenal glands. And what that means is um, you're going to get a short-term fix for very long-term pain, not only from physical point of view with the weight, but the mental health, the psychological ramifications that come through weight cycling, um, and the body image disorders you develop, you know, through the continual jumping on the scales, the negative relationships you, you develop with food and looking in the mirror and seeing that body image changing so much over time. So that's a good point. If, if people think next time they're going on the diet, oh, wow, I've got four kilos in a couple of weeks. Well, think about the damage you're doing to your body. Okay, that's, that's what's really happening. I did see on your website and on YouTube, when you look up the interval weight loss program, you've covered six tips and it's kind of like six practical lifestyle changes and advice. And so perhaps we go through those now. And um, the number one that I looked up was you can't fight evolution and maybe we'll just go off the, through these six points. Yeah, great. So, I mean, you can't fight evolution. That is the losing weight in four week cycles. Okay, so you've got to impose the breaks every second month. If you don't, you're going to see your body fight the weight loss. You're going to get the same result you always got. Now, this is, again, one of the hardest things for people um, to, to sort of comprehend, okay? If they hadn't been on a diet or men in particular that don't um, typically diet, and they follow it, then they go and follow IW, or they're going to see weight loss definitely from the get-go because they haven't imposed damage on their body. But what happens is you see the weight loss, you get excited, you want to continue, but you can't. So it's about saying to a person, you can't fight evolution. You can't fight your body's desire to go back to its start point and think about that homeostasis that we've been talking about. So you're getting a person with step one just to lose weight in four-week cycles. And it's not picture perfect. You know, we say a rough two kilo, um, some months it might be a little bit more, some months it might be a little bit less, but why two kilos? Because that is what we consider clinically significant. Once you start losing more than say two to three kilos or 5% of your body weight, that is when your body will start to work differently. That is when the metabolism will drop, the appetite hormones will change, et cetera, et cetera. So, and it's also very achievable, the 0.5 per week. You know, most people can lose that amount of weight, weight per week pretty easy. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the first principle, the most important principle. And for those that want a PDF guide, you can go onto the website and jump it off because it is a good reminder of something you can just put on your fridge and it ties in very nicely again with your training plan because the second month or every second month, it just allows your body, you know, you know, that rest it might need it. You could reduce the intensity. It might be the volume. Um, and all those other things you were mentioning before, but it does prevent injury coming uh, or setbacks through injury. And if that happens, if that's not happening, it's great because you can continue on with your training, but you can also continue on with your weight loss goals. So you've got to really embrace these weight maintenance periods. Um, and from a training perspective, just allowing that your body to rest it needs. 
Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's move on. We've got number two, which is nature first. Nature first. I mean, food addiction is one of the reasons why we're seeing the weight um, go up in the Monday environment. We have a very hard time saying no to our favorite foods. We are wired to all these processed and packaged foods. It might be the bakery treats. It could be the, 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 the fast food restaurant takeaway down the road. We go there all the time. We're not designed to put these foods into our body all, all of the time. Um, during Again, during our time as hunter-gatherers, our ancestors used to seek out foods that were high in sugar and high in fat. There's no doubt about that, but they were naturally high in fat, naturally high in sugar, and they were nature's treats. So the nuts and seeds, the honey, the fruits. So they're the ones that you've got to retrain your brain towards. This is what the IWL program is allowing you and helping you to do. Overcome food addiction and explaining and, and educating on you how you can change that wiring system. Because in your brain, there's all these neurons connected, um, this wiring that's you know making you reach for those foods, that's seeing that pleasure response every time you eat them, um, the dopamine, the learning chemical, and all of the other feel-good chemicals that come into play. But you get the same feel-good response from nature's treat. So I guess a very good example from a respect Research perspective, uh, we put a person or a group of people in front of the fast uh, convenience takeaway foods. We measure the brain activity. You get this heightened response um, of all the feel-good chemicals and dopamine in particular. Then you put them in front of the nature's treats. You get the same heightened response of all those feel-good chemicals and dopamine. So you can um, retrain your brain to nature's treats, you're gonna get that high you're looking for from foods that naturally occur in the, the environment, foods that are nutritious, um, that contain naturally occurring sugars and naturally occurring fats, which are good for us. Despite what the dieting industry might have told you, fruits, um, nuts, all of these foods are excellent and they're ones we should be including. So just think of your brain as, as actually soft wide instead of hard wide. You're not hard wide to these um, processed foods. You can change the wiring over time. Six out of seven days in the week, you've got to learn to say no. And then once a week, you can have whatever food you like. It could be the pizza, it could be the burgers, whatever it is. And then in the maintenance months, you can actually have two of those treat or takeaway foods. So we're, we're not saying cut them out altogether. They play an important part um, of the Monday environment and enjoyment of food, but it's about rewiring a brain to reach for nature first most of the time. Yeah, I think, I think it's really nice to have those set boundaries and say, okay, one day a week I can do this because if you don't allow those boundaries, then you can just say, oh, a bit of pizza here, a bit of like, you know, takeaway there, a bit of sugar here. Um, but you're also allowing yourself a bit of time just to not fight too many urges if you're trying to go three weeks strict, you know, not like avoiding all of these foods. And then if you have those sort of maintenance months then you're allowing yourself those two days which i think is very very achievable to have like two two days where you can kind of let loose a little bit but still allowing yourself those strict boundaries so you don't seep into a third day and then to a fourth day and then those habits creep back in yeah absolutely and and you know we have the online um app online program so people can be accountable and they can monitor those habits over time sure you might start off as five or six days where you find yourself eating out, you're trying to work towards that one to two and you can visually track that because that wiring of the brain, you can't change it overnight. You go cold turkey 
and do the all or nothing approach, you'll only sustain that for four to 12 weeks. Research has proven this, and this is what the dieting industry neatly package up to sell you. Okay, but eventually you go back to your old ways. You will crave those foods you're cutting out. So think of the wiring as something that's malleable. You can change it over time and you will get there, but it's going to take you 66 days. It takes more than a couple of months to do it. But just like training, if you repeatedly, you know, apply that, that same sort of training regimen over time, um, it becomes easier and easier. The load and your body adjust to it. So think of similar sort of um, environment here where you learn to say no. As you're saying no, six out of seven days, the wiring um, is moving to the other state in a favorable state towards nature's treats. I think anyone who is like maybe started running late in life and didn't like running to start with can agree that, you know, it's a bit of a hurdle to start with and you, you put on your shoes and you get out there, even though it's rainy, even though it's cold, you tell yourself a lot of, um, a lot of things to stay inside, but enough. Like if you go for six months, 12 months, a couple of years of running, it just becomes so automatic and you actually enjoy running. And then it becomes, you know, five, six days a week rather than struggling to do three and, um, because you've got that link with endorphins as well. You've got that link with exercise and habit and that it becomes quite ingrained. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I think most of the listeners would have experienced some form of that habit formation, which can be done through diet. How, how about number three? We've got full rainbow. Um, is that just very, um, is it a very similar frame of mind to the nature first? It's basically saying, look, we, we've got to, encompass all foods all food groups don't cut anything out again you know diets will um, tell you to or cut out certain foods and food groups but every meal should contain a whole grain carbohydrate it should contain a source of protein and it should contain contain a good source of fat uh, plenty or unlimited salad and vegetables so plenty of color as well so full rainbow is basically saying every meal um, has to contain all of the main food groups, whole grain carbs, so it could be a quinoa, your brown rice, a protein source, it could be a, um, a bean, a legume, it could be some fish or some meat, a good, and then a good source of fat, which could be avocado, some olive oil, and then salad and vegetables with every meal. This next one I found really interesting. Um, number four, use chopsticks. Yeah, it is the most fun for most people. Um, look, it can also be use an oyster fork or um, uh, use a teaspoon, but basically this is about portion sizes. You don't have to count calories. You don't have to weigh out grams of food and do all of these um, late nights looking for obscure ingredients. IWL um, interval weight loss is all about making this easy and practical to implement. Portion sizes are simply big to small throughout the day. So, uh, research studies show that you burn two and a half times, you burn the calories two and a half times more efficiently at breakfast compared to dinner. So if you sit down in front of two meals um, and you have them at breakfast and then you have them again at dinner, you're going to burn them two and a half times more rapidly at the morning meal. So that's why breakfast is the most important meal and, and a key part of this IWL plan. Um, and you simply should have about three fifths of food for breakfast is a rough guide, two for lunch, one for dinner. Now with dinner, you sit down at the table away from technological distraction and use something you're uncomfortable with. So it could be the chopsticks. Um, or if you've mastered the chopsticks, then 
an oyster fork or a teaspoon, anything to slow down your eating consumption because we typically sit down and don't even appreciate what's in front of us, let alone allow for that appetite signaling system to take or, or to, you know, to work. So you've got to really slow down the food consumption. Dinner is the most important meal from the social and cultural perspective, but it's the least important from the portion size perspective. Now, again, that's not something that's going to happen overnight. It takes more than a couple of months. Um, and you're going to continue to tell me, I just don't feel hungry in the morning time. That's because you've been doing the same thing for decades. Sometimes, um, you know, it, again, it will take a person a few months for them to say, hey, I'm starting to feel hungry in the morning. I can now eat in the morning. Your body's welcoming that nutritious nutrition at once more at the start of the day, unless at the end of the day. It's going to help you with your, your weight loss goals. Okay. So for point four, we've got kind of two takeaways. One is to slow down your eating. And yes. the, the second one is to go from big to small. So your biggest meal should be the breakfast, medium is lunch, and then your smallest being dinner, which thinking about Western or Australian kind of cultures and diets, quite the opposite. Um, most people just have a coffee for breakfast and then have a feast for dinner. Um, so it can help reframe yeah, a lot right. of these habits. Yeah, we sort of get home at the end of the day, don't we? And we overeat, we reach for anything we can get our hands on. Um, and we do, we, we tend to put the bulk of our volume or food consumption at the end of the day. So that's, that's not good. Your body's very good at slowing down at that time. Um, look, it doesn't matter about the time of the day. You've just got to eat from big to small. It's simple as that. And yes, like you said, slow down your eating habits because we just don't, don't do that. We just eat too quickly and we eat on the go. Mm, yeah, I'd be guilty of that for sure. Um, especially like when I used to work in clinics and I had, um, I'd make myself a big bowl of pasta a couple of years ago and then I'd have 15 minutes in between patients and I'd just scoff it down as fast as I could. And um, that was just like the lifestyle. It was like, I, it's either that or wait till nine o'clock at night for me to eat. And so um, sometimes lifestyle does get in the way, but you know, you can come up with other strategies so you can start slowly developing these, um, these good habits. Yes, absolutely. And sometimes it might mean if you are, you know, flat out and could be working in a clinical environment and you're seeing patients having a, a few mouthfuls of food as frequently as you can, that that can be helpful because then if you prevent ghrelin levels getting out of control and those hunger pangs creeping in, you're not going to reach for the easy, convenient, unhealthy option and see yourself at the vending machine or getting the takeaway on the way home. So, you know, prevent hunger um, because it does help you with making healthier food choices. Yeah. Um, number five, I've got choose to move. Hopefully the listeners of this podcast are moving, but uh, yes. what are the guidelines around this? Yeah, look, it's obviously embracing um, activities you love. Um, it could be anything, you know, running um, is obviously wonderful. It's very helpful from a weight loss perspective because it's really using so many um, muscles, muscle groups in the body, which means you're burning a lot of energy. But more importantly, outside of that, outside of the structured environment, just monitor your incidental activity because most of us are only doing four to 6,000 steps a day. We're sedentary. And then what? We go and run or we go to the gym or whatever it might be and we say, I'm doing my exercise, but I still can't see the weight loss. Well, that's because you're, you're actually leading a very sedentary life. So we, we evolve to move um, and it's most important that you do increase and get in a level of incidental activity that is that is healthy. So you get yourself a wearable, try and work up to the 10,000 steps a day. Some people can't get that many steps, but that's fine. You can incorporate lots of non-body weight bearing activity in there as well. Could be in the pool, in the, in the bike, etc. cetera. Um, but yeah, it's about 
choosing to move in a way that's sustainable. Okay, so something that you're going to stick to lifelong and importantly incorporate into your life and your day-to-day life through incidental. Yeah, and um, like exactly you, you've chose to stand up doing this interview because you spent too long sitting down, so you, you've decided to move. And yeah, I, I did have, um, I had J.F. Esculier who um, on one of my podcasts and he actually did the entire interview on a treadmill, just walking on a treadmill <laughs> and uh, talking about that. So um, yeah, things can happen. Like you can modify things throughout the day to slowly work in this um, this incidental exercise, which can become a habit in itself as well. Yeah, make it opportunistic. Like it could be anything like you go to your kid's sport, you're dropping them off to training. You don't have to stand there on the sideline and watch them. You can actively be moving around. You can do a quick 15-minute, um, you know, shuttle runs on the side. It really doesn't matter what it is, but think of every um, opportunity as an opportune movement, time to move. If you do that, you're going to be getting plenty of incidental. But what we typically do is we just drive everywhere. We, we stay there stationary. We drive to the next spot, et cetera, et cetera. We're not actually getting any movement day to day. And, you know, like you said, I've been sitting, riding most of today. Um, so now I'm making the most of at least getting up, standing while I'm talking to yeah, you. Yeah, perfect. Um, our last, uh, our sixth one out of our six tips was to um, avoid blue light before twilight. So um, yes. do you want to talk about that? Oh, after twilight, yeah. sorry. Yeah, very simple one um, and very important for sleep health because, again, from the science, the research, poor sleep does result in poor lifestyle choices. You're going to think it's um, an easier option, a healthier option to just go to the vending machine and get the chocolate bar when you're sleep deprived. Okay, so poor sleep does have all sorts of flow and effects. So what it means is this evening routine is going to need a little bit of a, a, um, a shake-up and you're going to need to find other activities to do. So instead of sitting down, scrolling through your phone, social media, watching TV, um, whatever it might be, turn off the technology, start with at least half an hour before bed, work up to an hour and ideally two hours of no technology, no screens before bed. So it might mean you need to find another hobby um, or read a book or whatever it might be. This is because technology emits blue light, blue light, suppresses melatonin production melatonin and if that's happening what it means is your brain is told that it's daytime instead of nighttime so that's not a good thing it's going to find you're going to find it hard to get to sleep but then importantly stay to sleep so just find a period of time every night where you have this no blue light um, and get away with get away from technology get away from blue light to improve sleep health it plays a very important role in weight management it's a key part of you know, these six steps. Yeah. And I did interview Sean McCormick, who's like this biohacker talking about a lot about blue light. And if someone wants to learn more about that, you can have a listen to that episode. But I like how you say, just start with 30 minutes before bed and then get used to that and try 60 minutes before bed and then try two hours. Um, That's that habit formation, or at least finding solutions, finding something you can do in that 30 minutes and finding something you can do for 60 minutes, I think is a really nice approach to that. Yeah. It has to be practical. I mean, everyone leads different lifestyles and a lot of people have their work life largely um, in the afternoon, evening time, but you can still have a block of time just before bed um, where you do switch off the technology. It's going to really make a big difference. So, so give it a try and start with something small. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, we're going to get into some patron questions, but before I do, let me just quickly recap those six points. So we have number one, can't fight evolution. Number two, nature first. Number three, eat from the full rainbow. Number four, chopsticks. Number five, choose to move. And number six is that no blue light after twilight. And so, um, yeah, if anyone wants more details, like you said, we've got um, more resources and um, videos to go to if they want to look at that. Yes. Uh, so um, patron questions, we've got a couple come in. So Janine, I'll start with her, which after reading this question now, kind of just supports exactly what you've been talking about. But she asked, uh, should we be fo- be focusing on health? So like healthy foods, healthy lifestyle, rather than the weight loss. And it seems that um, around her question, she seems that people tend to focus too much on the number and focus too much on weight loss, like actually losing kilos when um, perhaps it, it's more just the focus should be more towards a healthy lifestyle. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. This is a really good question. We have to be focusing on health. The goals need to be health. It could be um, to, to be a better father, be a better mother so I can see my kids grow up um, in terms of, you know, I want to be healthy. So, yes, you've got to set a goal aside from weight. Fixating or having this fixation on the number on the scales is not going to help you long term. Um, again, with this plan, we talked about that you can't fight evolution. The first principle, you just weigh yourself once a week, same time, same day, to monitor the trend over time. We've got patients coming in here that weigh themselves 20 to 30 times a day. It's sad. It's this, you know, again, it's this cultural obsession with the number on the scales. We've got to help people move away from that. Once a week, same time, same day, monitor the trend over time. It does become easier. And yes, you've got to, you need to focus on, on health. Um, if you do that, what you're going to find is, guess what the side effect is? Weight loss. That is what we always see. So set a goal, and it could be, again, something related to your um, metabolic biochemistry. Your cholesterol levels could be high. You want to see your cholesterol levels come down. Well, focus on that. And when you start to implement all of these foods with this plan, you're going to see your health improve from day one. So that's a very good question and it helps us achieve long-term goals if we focus on health and not weight. Mm. If only there were some scales where you can step on and tells you your health score or like how, yes. how healthy your lifestyle is and then you go back and it's um, we're slowly improving our health rather than losing weight. <laughs> yes, it's, it's sort of where we need to move to with the future um, because, yeah, this, this fixation on weight is, is sending us the other way. Yeah. Thanks for that, Janine. Um, Rachel and Maxine kind of had around the same question, so I've kind of fused into one. I'm curious for your thoughts. What what do you think on intermittent fasting, especially with intermittent fasting and exercise? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a good question again because it's the topical um, thing of the moment. Everyone's talking about intermittent fasting. Could be sixteen eight five two. When it comes down to it, they're all very fancy ways of cutting calories from the diet, which can help people stick to it for longer. Great. But again, we're only achieving the same results we achieve with every other diet, short-term weight loss followed by long-term weight gain. That's because your biology will fight the weight loss. It'll go into shutdown mode and you'll go back to your start point. Now, from a health point of view, remember we evolved to go long periods of time without food. So from a health perspective, sure, we know that intermittent fasting or fasting can improve our health. But the reasons we're following intermittent fasting is not for health. It's for weight loss. It's become a popular diet due to very, very big name celebrities, you know, pushing that out onto their, their supporters. But 
um, when you look at the long-term research, um, it's no better than any other diet. And I'll put that into perspective with a good report that comes out each year, uh, US News and World Report. They get together a leading group of experts, scientists, clinicians, and um, they're required to objectively rate each of these diets according to the evidence they hold. Now, all of these popular diets, the ones we're talking and fixated on at the moment, the ketos, the intermittent fasting, for example, they appear right down the bottom for the report of 2021. So um, they, their claims just don't match up um, with respect to the science or research or evidence they hold. And often a lot of these programs gain such mass momentum, mass momentum because of that, um, that validation through a quick drop on the scales. And then Joe talks about it and Pam and everyone's on it. And then you've got celebrities, social media influencers talking about it. Um, and this is how they get this, this sort of cult following. But yeah, when you look at this report, which is one of the best things we have in the dieting industry, because they're objectively rating it, scientists, experts in the field, these are the diets that are down the bottom. Um, and you should be staying clear of them. From a health point of view, sure, but that's not why we're following it. Um, from the long-term weight management point of view, we've got to uh, stay away from them. I could be a good example of this because I regularly do intermittent fasting mm -hmm. and I don't do it for weight loss. I have like a lot of gut issues and I find that regularly throughout the week, uh, maybe twice a week, sometimes three times a week, if I go an extended period without eating, that just gives my gut bacteria like time just to settle down rather than just like continuously eating and like being disrupted and constantly moving and working. I found that's really helped my gut bacteria. But like, like I said, I haven't, I don't do it for weight loss. I don't lose weight when I do intermittent fasting because mm. I still eat the same amount. I, it's not a calorie restriction for me because out like in my eating window, I still eat the same amount I would if I wasn't taking that break. And so I guess that's the approach of doing it from a health focus rather than a weight loss focus, um, which you're saying if it is a weight loss focus and you are dropping that weight, it's exactly the same as any other diet where you're constantly, well, you're disrupting that body and it's going to want to fight back. It doesn't matter how you're dropping that weight excessively or quickly, the body's still going to want to fight back the same way. Yeah, you're spot on. Um, from a health point of view, yes, again, the science, the research shows that it's good for us, but that's sadly not why we're following it. And also, um, even more sadly, remember, two in three people are struggling with their weight. Um, you're, in a, you're in a healthy, normal weight range. You, you, you've, you're managing weight very effectively. Occasionally, you do some intermittent fasting, you get, you get some um, the health benefits from that. But yes, from weight management, weight loss, it's not the answer. It's no better than any other um, diet out there. Mm. And um, just quickly with that one, Rachel wanted to clarify, does protein, eating protein, reduce the sugar cravings? No, what reduces the sugar cravings is reaching for nature first. So look, it's fine to have the sugar cravings. We all have them. Remember, we evolved to seek out high sugar, high fat foods, nature's treats. So when you have that sugar craving, embrace it. But go and reach for something naturally high in sugar. A very good example is your fruits. Most people can find at least a fruit they love. You need to surround yourself with those nature's treats. And when you have it, that craving, reach for the nature first. And you'll get all of those feel-good chemicals released in your brain, the endorphins, the dopamine. 
and you're going to feel great, not only at the time of eating it, but also for many hours afterwards because it's nutritious, it fills you up. Now, if you, for example, went to the vending machine and got the lollies or something else that's high in added sugar, you're going to get a very short-term high, again, for long-term pain. You're going to feel like shit afterwards, and it's not going to fill you up for long periods of time because those foods are not nutritious. So it's about rewiring the brain, doing it over time. Remember that sort of six out of seven days say no during the weight loss months and five out of seven during the weight maintenance months saying no. So not every day has to be no. You can still have your favorites, but you've got to retrain your brain back to the nature's treats. It's funny. I was just talking with my girlfriend the other day around how much I'd crave like a certain dessert. And then while I'm eating it, I'm like thinking to myself, is it really that good? Like is the taste and the flavors really, really that good? And I think it's more the excitement of it than actually eating it. And uh, it's just a bit of, I guess, awareness or self-reflection that I've been doing the last couple of weeks when thinking maybe I don't actually need this. Yeah, and it's look, that's the hedonic pathway in most instances that's kicking in. So every day we've got this homeostatic regulation of our body weight. Um, you know, a clever part of the hypothalamus is telling us when and when we shouldn't eat. And then your energy stores are full. But guess what? The dessert comes out and we always seem to be able to say yes. Mm. And that's the hedonic or reward pathway kicking in saying, yes, I'm going to have that even though your energy stores are full. So look, when you get to that situation and you're craving something um, sugary or fatty, fatty, even though you're, you've had enough or sufficient food, yet do, again, reach for nature first. Because like you said, um, sometimes those foods don't even give us the pleasure we want, but we have them anyway. It's just become a habit. Um, and you, I promise you, you get the same feel-good response from all those nutritious nature's foods. Yeah, okay. Last patron question, Dimmer. He asks, uh, I'm finding that as I get older, the weight loss is harder to shift. Should I adopt a different strategy or I, I guess a way to reframe it is, I guess, as people get older, should they change their strategy? Yeah, this is a, um, a very common complaint for many people. My very latest book, Interval Weight Loss for Women, actually tackles some of these challenges women go through, for example, um, in particular, like going on the contraceptive pill, going through pregnancy, going through menopause and the, and the weight challenge that comes with that. Now, for men, um, I mean, we also have our weight challenges and throughout life, uh, we do see um, this decrease, small decrease in muscle mass, okay? So sarcopenia, scientific term um, known as sarcopenia, where you do see a, a roughly a couple of percent decrease in muscle mass over the age of 40 means it's harder to regulate your weight because your metabolism does lower a very small amount but what it also means is you just need to work a little bit harder on your lifestyle because what happens is over time, um, you're seeing this slight decrease in, in you know, how efficiently your body's working, but you don't compensate for that change. You still continue to eat the same um, poor food, not move, poor sleep, and body shut down a little bit, resultingly your weight goes up. Um, so look, even though there's a small hormonal change going on for both men and women, Throughout life, the most important thing is you need to be able to uh, compensate for the lifestyle um, changes that you, yeah that really are not compensated for as we age because that's mm -hmm. the real reason why we're putting on that weight. So in terms of, yes, it's harder to shift the weight with age, um, 
But again, if you're equipping yourself with this evidence-based information, you're going to be able to regain control of your weight and you have to stop putting your hand up and saying, um, you know, whatever it might be, menopause has made, made it harder for me to lose the weight or um, aging as, as, a, as a male has made it harder for me to lose weight. You can still lose weight regardless of the stage of life, uh, but you just need to prioritise your health, prioritise your lifestyle because this is the most important thing. Without it, you have nothing. And over time, if you do nothing about it, you can end up having a serious health scare and you're going to be maybe lucky enough to get through that particular life, life event. So do something about it before it's too late. And stop dieting. If You, you know, most of the, the females out there are out there um, trying to do something about their weight. Full kudos to them, but they're, they're actually doing more harm than good in most instances. And I think I've talked a lot about the inevitable processes that the body goes through when it ages, especially when it comes to running, like our yes. tendon, the properties in our tendons change, like our muscles change and our ability to recover changes. Like it just takes longer to rebound and bounce back from a, an intense session. It's just something that's just inevitable. It's an inevitable part of life and aging. We might need to start prioritizing more strength training. Might start having to prioritize more recovery days than what you did in your thirties, I guess this form of um, weight loss just is along the same lines as like you say, hormones change and chemicals change and just the ability, you just might need to start prioritizing the healthier habits in order to um, start seeing more benefits than what you did when you're in your thirties and forties. Yeah. Your body doesn't bounce back as it used to. You're right. And it just means you're still going to be able to achieve your training goals, but you have to really think outside the box and it might mean a few more recovery days or it might be a, more, a bit more non-body weight-bearing activity. Um, but, yes, it does make it harder as we age, but you've really got to address that in a way that um, allows you to continue working towards your goals because you can. you just got to find the alternative. You know, that will still see you achieve uh, training goals, health goals, and in um in the instances where you're trying to lose weight, obviously your weight goals. Yeah. Thanks to all those patrons for submitting those questions. As we're wrapping up, I always like to ask, are there any other take-home messages or something we haven't covered that you want the listeners to know? We've covered so much already. So, you know, I won't feel bad if you say we've covered everything, but is there any other take-home messages that we haven't discussed? I mean, I could talk about this topic all day and we have covered a lot of content but i hope really it's educated the listeners on how your body works and responds to weight loss because there is something going on at a physiological level there is this biological imperative to regain the weight if you can understand that and equip yourself with that knowledge i promise you that will make it so much easier next time when you go and lose weight because for so long people have just been told that it's due to a lack of willpower but it's not it's due to your biology Okay, so take on evidence-based information, implement um, easy, sustainable habits so you can achieve your goals long-term. And lastly, focus on health, not weight, because weight does come, weight loss does come, and it's often that side effect um, of what you're actually setting out to achieve. What I love about some of these topics is, like, first of all, it's mind-blowing, like how how we need to shift our understanding. It's quite the opposite of what someone might might think. And when we follow the evidence, like you say, if someone was to follow a diet and have a quick, rapid 
loss in weight, they, they honestly instantly see that as this is working. This is what, this is the direction I'm heading. And this is a good thing. When in fact, it's like, there's actually dangers to dieting. It's quite the, op- the, the reality is the opposite of what we're actually thinking. And so it's fantastic that we can have someone like you on here to explain it all. Um, and if someone wants to learn more and you've discussed the resource already, I do have your, um, the interval weight loss on the Facebook, um, YouTube and Instagram accounts. Um, and I know you're also on Twitter. Do you want me to add all those social media links into the show notes? Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, it makes it even easier for people to find information in the way they want to digest it. You can go to your local library and, and borrow one of the books. I mean, that's a great starting point as well, because I just want you to empower yourself with this information. And even though the last one's called the most recent one um, is called Interval Weight Loss for Women, look, it is suitable for men and women, despite the title, but it does tackle some of those significant life events like menopause, for example, that women go through that us men don't. But what it is tackling in detail is the eight biological protections or well-researched pathways that we, we did touch on today. And then in detail, describing the six simple steps to the plan, um, you can jump on the YouTube channel, as you mentioned, there's a lot of short informational videos uh, on, on different topics. Again, we've discussed today, you can just digest this information in lots of different ways. And then through the help of the university uh, last year, we released the online version. So you can follow IWL interval weight loss in the palm of your hand. We know that people don't need to come to clinics to succeed. They don't need to see healthcare professionals face-to-face to succeed. You can be accountable online, follow it online and still achieve your goals. And with that, there's an IWL um, community, which is also very supportive of whatever stage you might be at. So, yeah, hopefully it has instilled in you that, that education to, to yeah, regain control of health weight and achieve training goals. Cool. And we have intervalweightloss.com.au as the website that I'll include in the, the show notes as well. Perfect. Hopefully, like someone listens to this and they finally like have a breakthrough. Like they've been dieting so many times and they listen to this, they implement it and they see tremendous long-term results. That's, that'd be awesome. And it it does seem like in a world where there's so much marketing and just like advertisements pushing the opposite message. um, It's, it's fantastic. Like people like you are doing that research and following the evidence base and then trying to put the message out there. So um, just being as a, an episode on this podcast is one way that you, you're getting the message out there. So thanks for all the work that you do. No, thanks again, Brody, for having me on. And, you know, keep up the good work yourself. Love what you do. And it's great. So thanks, thank mate. you. All the best. Thanks once again for listening. To take full advantage of the knowledge you are building, you need to download the Run Smarter app. This contains all of my free access podcast episodes, written blogs, and ebooks, along with my paid video courses, all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for links to the podcast Facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get Inner Circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalogue of patron-only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. 
Also on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic where I assess and treat runners from all over the world. So I can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.